Hey everybody, welcome to the Chan's Logic Podcast, where we talk business, marketing, and what it takes to build a culture around yourself and your brand. So basically, I, I turned these into laws of marketing, and the reason I wanted to call it a law was because if you call something a law, that may, makes it certifiably legit. It doesn't matter if you know what you're talking about or if you know what you're doing or anything like that. The second you call something a law, it's automatically legit in the eyes of anybody listening or watching. So now that it's the 10 laws of marketing, someone would see that and be like, huh, I wonder what those 10 laws are. I'm going to look at that. And so it's law, so it's legit. <clears throat> and customer-centric business. So my entire goal in life and in everything I do and talk about and in the businesses we work with and run is to build a relationship like I was talking about earlier between the customers, the employees, and the business. So all three have to be doing well. All three have to be thriving. And all have, three have to be feeling like you actually care about them and like they're part of the story and the, the journey includes them. And if they don't, you end up with employees who don't care, customers who you can't retain, and the business suffers as a result. So the three, the three businesses that I started and still own and run are Stone Age Fuel. Uh, Stone Age Fuel was a boutique fitness facility that I started in 2000. 13 or 14. Started off as a blog in 2009. So all we did was blog about when I was in school for biochemistry, we blogged about the fallacies in the health and fitness world in comparison to like the pharmaceutical industry and in comparison to the supplement industry. And then that kind of exploded and got us a following. And then that turned into a physical location. We realized the gym industry is pretty saturated and it's full of like bikini body boot camps and a lot of stuff we didn't want to be involved in. We really wanted to help make a difference in people's lives. So we created a whole new industry and put a moat around ourselves and essentially centered ourselves in a position to where we were kind of the middle ground between healthcare and fitness. And so it put us in a position to where we weren't doing the bikini body boot camp. We were able to learn to pay coaches as professionals. We were able to get the business to be profitable and happy and get customers to actually stick around. Because the average person who starts a gym is gone within 30 days our average client stays with us for two or three years, uh, which resulted into work coming on with Mad Lab Group. So the Mad Lab Business Group is one of the biggest consulting agencies in the boutique fitness world. So they consult with most of the CrossFit gyms in the CrossFit land. Uh, they consult with a lot of weightlifting gyms, a lot of personal training studios, anyone who's in that boutique identity that's like 10,000 square feet or less. Uh, Mad Lab is probably involved with consulting on their business systems. There's only two really big agencies, and they're one of them. Uh, with Mad Lab, I came on and kind of rebuilt their marketing and their systems and their philosophies and reorganized them around a customer-centric focus. One of the most recent things that I was talking about was building their communication, so that way the customers were happy and everybody was able to communicate in real time. I call myself the chief growth officer with Mad Lab. I used to call myself the chief marketing officer. There's three executives in that company. I'm one of the three. And then the last thing we started is Out of the Cave Media. It's the newest one. It's probably it's a little over a year and a half, two years old. But Out of the Cave Media is a relationship-centric and customer-driven agency. We take organizations like Mad Lab, we take large and small fitness-based organizations and non-fitness-based organizations and realign them into a customer-centric philosophy. We teach them how to produce content that shows uniqueness, humanistic characteristics, and introduce it in a way that's not going to cost like the small businesses a lot of money and in a way that the large businesses can pump out and not take seven months to produce a high-quality video that costs $100,000. Our focus is 100% long-term. We don't take on clients. If a client comes to us and says, I need leads, we send them to one of our strategic partners or someone who can handle the leads or who wants to generate leads for them. We don't focus on short-term, and we don't take clients short-term. Uh, the minimum we'll work with someone is usually six months or longer. 
So we bring them on. We have about a 17-month timeline that we work through in order to get their business aligned, their business philosophies in the right order, and to get their content strategy and execution strategy moving into place and establish their systems on top of that. So don't be basic, I tell all the clients. Do you want to be the basic guy who's doing like the, hey, we only have 13 spots available in our boot camp this week and you better jump on board? Because then we tell our, our fitness clients especially, you look like everybody else. So if you want to look like everybody else, do what everybody else is doing. And you're going to be basic like the unicorn frat. <clears throat> did anybody ever try the unicorn frat? Corey did. Did you try it? I did not, but my wife did. Did she like it? No. I smelled it. I was like, oh my gosh, I might die. <laughs> It smelled like pure sour, yeah. also probably pure deliciousness, but I don't know if I could take the stomach problems afterward. It was a little gnarly. Yeah, it was pretty, it, was, yeah. it looks gnarly. Yeah. I sniffed it and it was gnarly. <laughs> probably don't sniff the frat. So, uh, That's right there. Yeah, don't sniff the frat. It sounds like a lot. That's right. <laughs> so when we look at basic marketing, it's, you look at what someone else down the street's doing in a similar industry or in a similar business and you do the same thing. So when you've done that, you've essentially pigeonholed yourself into their industry and into what they're doing specifically, and you're not creating an, a differentiation in what you're doing, and you're not creating identity in what you're doing. So we work in a lot of commodity-driven markets where everything's seemingly the same, and we create differentiation in the business itself and the people inside versus using the products as a differentiation. Because if you sell fitness, everybody knows you're a trainer, and everybody's going to say, oh, they just do that. But if you sell the people inside and you sell the relationships and the emotional aspects behind what you're doing, people want to be part of your story and they don't really care what you're selling. They just know they want to be part of it because you've built a culture of raving fans. One day I started putting like little quotes up that I was just rambling off in my head and writing in a notepad. And then I just started posting it on my Instagram and people liked it. So I kept doing it and I still do it. So now I have selfies with quotes on it. It looks like I love myself, but really, People liked it, so I kept doing it. And as long as the people like it, I'll keep doing it. Uh, so marketing, marketing, in my opinion, shouldn't be about interrupting patterns. It should be about becoming part of their story. So you're never an interruption. And you should be, build a relationship strong enough with your clients to where, and your followers to where they see you and they click on it immediately because they recognize you and they want to be part of what you're doing. Or they look forward to what you're putting out. Rather than when you're scrolling through Facebook and you see the video and the guy like, he's not, and then he goes like this to capture your attention real quick, and then you watch it for three seconds, Facebook charges you for that three second video view, and then they go off, drop off the face of the earth and never interact with you again until you retarget them or whatever. But if we can focus on building the relationship over time, and it's a long-term commitment to do this, we can get people who see that video and they click on it just because it's you. And they wanna watch it because they wanna feel like they're part of your story. And that's really the difference between direct marketing and relationship marketing. We're not trying to establish clients to buy our stuff right there. We don't want to jump on a sales call with a new client. We want to jump on a sales call with a client who's been following us for seven months. Because then it's a conversation of enrollment. It's no longer a conversation of sales. It's not, why do you need this? And it's not trying to weed people out. It's, we're on the call. Hey, what are you doing? Well, I've been watching you for seven months, and I'm ready to jump on board. Now, how does this work? So then you talk to them about what you do, what the processes look like. So we haven't been on a sales call with Out of the Cave that was longer than five minutes of actually selling anything. It's usually just getting on and them talking to you for 20 minutes about what they've been watching that you've been doing, and then you showing them what you do and how you can help them, and then that's the end of it. Uh, so it starts with branding and culture. If you don't establish a brand and you don't define your brand and you don't learn how to tell your story, then you're not recognizable. So if you just say, well, I sell Infusionsoft apps, it doesn't differentiate you from anybody else who sells apps or from anyone who sells anything, like ClickFunnels. People are like, well, what's the difference? 
And if they see you and you're the difference and you create that differentiation in your brand and build that identity around yourself or, or your business, that's when people come to you versus like all the other 2,700 different automation things people are building right now. So question. Yes. If you're going to do this, should you do it under, like me, Robert as the person or Nitro Gold Marketing as the company? What I, what I, when I think of in terms of like scalability, I would do it under the company because if it's under your own personal brand or your own personal name, it's hard to scale beyond yourself. But if it's under your business name, you can scale your business forever. But you could also scale your name if your name is the business. So then with the company, since the company page doesn't have very many people on mm -hmm. it, do you pre-schedule pre it and then promote it from your personal mm -hmm. thing to kind of get the yeah. what I do, actually, audience out? Yeah, if, if, you did have, if you don't have enough time to produce like different things on both, then I would share things from like your business page onto your personal or your, uh, your little profile that you're using. So that way you get it from there and you can share it over here. Okay. Uh, what I actually do is we have the Out of the Cave Media channels, we have the Mad Lab group channels, and they all have their own thing flowing. And I have my own personal brand on, called Chan's Logic on Facebook. And I do like separate content. I do a live video just about every day where I just ramble and talk. So it's completely different than the other two, but it segues into everything. So I would say everything is everything. Everything I'm talking about here segues here to here. People recognize me here, and then they go over here to find me, or they see the other platforms and follow me here. So you're always building into what you're doing. So everything becomes everything. And you want to start building up that business page. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of doing that, Rob. The problem I had with it was when I would do a post on Facebook, I was paying for organic traffic versus... Why would you pay for organic traffic? That's just the way, when you have a business page. Well, let it run for a while and let all the organic grab. Yeah, so I was posting it on my personal and then sharing it on my business. <laughs> what I would do to kind of combat that is start a Facebook group and put all your clients or prospects, just put everybody in there, share everything into the group. Uh, if you don't, does everybody have a Facebook group that's just open? Or do you have just a client-focused group? Raise your hand if you do. Kind. Not open, it's private. Okay, so as long as you have some sort of group, you can get your content from an avenue where you have to pay to play into an avenue to where they're all, they're all gonna see it, unless they turn notifications off. But if they're in there, they shouldn't because they care about what you're doing. So I talk a lot about customer-centric or customer-driven marketing. Uh, so w when you look at back in the day before people were able to like message you and get in direct contact with you and do all these things to get right a hold of you and complain with you about you online. It was a very brand-centric economy. So businesses would put information out and throw it up all over the place, and that would be the end of it. You'd get a no-reply email and have zero contact or zero ability to talk to someone except on a phone line that upset you anyway because it took 17 hours to get a hold of someone. But now we're switching into what we're calling like a customer-centric or a customer-driven economy or environment in business. And what that is is brands have to put information out. They have to put information out that makes customers feel special, makes them feel part of the story, and showcases the humans inside the businesses like the employees. And then they have to listen to the, what the customers are saying and react and respond based on feedback. And feedback might be in internal forums you send to people. Feedback might be someone goes on Twitter and complains that their Starbucks Frappuccino was late. <laughs> or feedback might be direct messaging you on Instagram, Facebook, all of these things, but we can't ignore these. And ignore, a comment that's ignored is a customer who feels like you don't care about them. That's Steph. She is like a technical wizard. So I'll walk up here and be dumbfounded and she'll have this whole thing like airplayed and playing through all the speakers and everything. That's what I bring her around for. 
she's okay. So it's building a culture of caring amongst everybody. And that's the, we talk about the core values and the mission. And the mission of Out of the Cave Media is to build a culture of caring as, in as many businesses and customers as we possibly can. So you want to tell a continuous story in what you're doing. And this isn't like this like overproduced video that takes you 17 months to make and then you put it out and that's it. It's, you want to tell a continuous story based off the people who are interacting with you in your business, so your employees and yourself, and your customers who are interacting with you. So how can you involve all of these people in the story? Because when you look at Instagram, why do people share like a hashtag from a brand? Because they want that brand to either give them something free or they want that brand to share their picture on their page. So if you showcase these people inside of what you do, you build that culture and that environment where they always feel like you care about them, they want to be part of that story, and they'll share and talk about and comment, and they'll pretty much do anything to be part of what you do. And that's how you build that culture of raving fans. And to do this, I talk about often, you have to be unique, you have to be real, and you have to be human. And so what this is, it's not, we'll take the fitness industry, for example, they're all trying to do like technique videos, and they stand in front of a, a rig or something, they go, hello, my name's George, and today we're gonna learn how to do a pull-up. And then you just <laughs> click away, because you've seen it 35 times. <laughs> so you, what you want is, you want George doing a segment that specifically plays into George's unique personality, characteristics, and his strengths. So he should be able to find that, and it might be like a client story segment where he sits there and talk about it, talks about an interaction he had with someone and how powerful it was. It might be him interviewing a client. It might be doing, him doing something completely crazy and out of control, but people are gonna like it because it's part of what he does. It's, it's interacting with him, and who, who remembers the Dollar Shave Club video? Like, our blades are great. And it was like the greatest video in the history of the world because it was powerful, it was bold, and it introduced some concepts and things that made you laugh immediately that most companies were afraid to do. Like the little girl riding in the wheelbarrow. What was her name? Alejandra. Alejandra, what were you doing yesterday? I didn't have a job. What are you doing today? I have a job. Win. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that, that kind of video, stuff. That single video has set off a total new revolution. Like oh, yeah. That was huge. And, and you can script something that you don't even have to take hours and days and whatever to script these things out. You have people inside your, your businesses and customers who are willing to participate in this stuff and do this stuff with you. And it's real simple and easy to create. If they're remote, you can get them on like a Zoom cast or you can teach them how to produce their own content to send to you and have like a submission form. Uh, but the center of this should be around your staff. So how can you get your staff working to produce this kind of stuff to showcase it to the world? Because then when the world sees it, they feel like they know your staff, they feel like they can interact with your staff, and they feel like the staff are people that they would go to and that they care about. And it, it eliminates the scary factor. Like, I don't want to go see them. I don't know them. It's, oh, I know that guy. I see his videos all the time. He's hilarious. So that's how I came out with my laws of marketing. So remember, they're laws, so they're legit. And that's where we're going to move into next. So the first one as I was drinking a Moscow Mule with a Starbucks lid, uh, is execute on what you learn. So most of the time I do these talks, and I do these all over the place now, I notice that I'll talk about this, and everybody writes notes, and then I go back and I look at what everybody's doing, and nobody does anything. So make sure whatever you learn from this talk today or anything else everybody does, the number one thing you should focus on is what can I execute on and what can I produce a strategic plan around to get this motoring and into action. So it's not just my thoughts, it's my planning phases are in order, my strategic plan's in order, and I have my systems together to make it work. So most of us don't want to do this because we have fear. And fear, when you're paralyzed for fear, it's the action of inaction. 
It's the result of not knowing what could happen or wondering what is going to happen or are people going to like what I put out? Are they going to call me stupid? Are they going to call me fun? Are they going to hate me? We have to get over this fundamental level of fear and just put it out and see what happens. Then we participate in the listening aspect. We see the feedback. We act and respond. People might not like everything you put out, but they are going to respond and they will comment on it and they will give you feedback. That's how you make yourself better. We can do all the surveys and put out all the things we want, but until we actually put something out, we won't understand what the consumer is going to say. Like the Dollar Shave Club video. If they would have put that out and asked people or asked like an agency, what do you think, how is this going to do? They would have been like, no, don't do it. That's crazy. But they did it. And so they challenged the status quo. The squatty potty. The squatty potty. <laughs> they said, the, the marketing company said, don't do it, don't do it. They said, no, we're going to do it anyway. And they did it anyway. And it's an amazing video. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of incredible. Everybody knows it. Everybody understands it. Like their, yeah. their sales shot through the roof because of it. Do you know how so, long it took them to recoup their investment on that? Oh, okay. Two weeks. Legit. Just over 500000 for that video. That's huge. And their product's legit, too, just in case you're not. <laughs> 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 their product is legit. Who needs 10 blades? We got one or two for you. So treat fear as your candy. Embrace it. So I'm going to put this out. I, it, the world works in mysterious ways. People are going to love it or they're going to hate it. And then I'm going to react and respond and adjust and modify. And I'm going to make it better continuously. So if you watch, uh, if you go to the, like, the Out of the Cave Media Facebook page, our big thing is our podcast. So we go, we do a daily, sh we call it the Almost Daily Show because we didn't want to quite commit to every day. So Almost Daily kind of commits us to really, to nothing. But we do it like three to five times a week. And, uh, and we put it on Facebook Live and Periscope and YouTube. And then we pull it and share it to our podcast. And the podcast is where we ultimately drive everybody. And that's kind of where everybody watches us, they listen to us talk, and then by the time we get on a call, they're so pumped about what we do. Like I said earlier, it's a conversation of enrollment at that point. It's, are you ready to do this? We'll, we'll bring you on, this is what we do. And so two, you gotta be consistent. So there's a lot of people out there who will execute, and then they don't do anything else for nine months. Like I'll go look at people's social media platforms, and I'll say, okay, you posted on Facebook in November of 1922. It's currently 2017. We, obviously, Facebook wasn't invented either, but you didn't post anything for a while, so we got to fix your consistency problem. And sometimes that takes an accountability partner. So it's you or it's someone else you're working with holding you accountable. Like Tyler had that little sheet he had signed. That's an accountability partner to write his book and to make sure he stays online. So sometimes you need someone to be that accountability partner to actually force you to do what you don't want to do. And if you don't like doing this kind of stuff, you're going to find ways to rationalize and generalize around why you're too busy or why you can't do it. And, and the partners that are getting a ton out of me, lean on me for that stuff. I can be that person for you. You have to allow it, right? And then everybody in this room can be that person for you. You have to allow it. And then have fun with it. One time we asked Jeremiah to jump on a call with us and we popped on Facebook Live. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Here we go. It's pretty exciting. So number three, you got to be a good listener. After, after you start putting this stuff out and after you're consistent with your story and after you're driving a lot of this out, you have to, be, you have to listen to what people are saying about it. Uh, so that's a picture of the weightlifting side, of, of the Olympic lifting side of our Stone Age Field gym. 
but you have to listen to feedback. So you put the video out, you get 35 comments about how awesome it was. So you are perfect. I found what I need to do. I found what I need to talk about. Let's keep this rolling. Or you get a comment like, oh, can you fix the sound? Or, oh, I didn't, th I didn't, that was confused. I don't know what happened. So then you do another video talking about the confusing or you fix the sound issues or they share it and everybody loves it. So you, you have to listen to this feedback and then you have to react and respond to that feedback so they know you care. If someone sends you a Facebook message and they don't get a response for 17 days, they're going to think you ignored them. People want like immediate responses. And that's why it was, it was so important to me in the Mad Lab group to get that response time down to f like two to five minutes. We needed an immediate response that said, hey, we value, we, we thank you for, for your question. Totally appreciate it. I'm going to send this over to our tech team and I'll update you ASAP on what they say and the time frame to get this fixed. So we need to make sure that we're always interacting and we're always listening and we're providing and responding to feedback in real time. Four is the idea of building a culture of caring. And once you start actually exercising this, you have the story going out, you're showcasing the people, your customers are watching, you're getting good feedback, you're on the road to building that culture of caring. And all this is is it's really building the idea around what you do to the customers that you really do care about them. And it's funny, most of us think that's just secondhand, like, oh, of course I care about my customers, but they need to really feel like you do care. They need to feel like you went that extra mile to actually help them and to actually make sure that they were comfortable and that their issues were resolved and that they posted that little comment on Facebook and you commented back and had fun with them. What you do, you need, you need to think about this in terms of empathy as well. How are they going to react and respond to what I say when I say it? And how do I get them to a point to where I send it and I already know they're going to smile because of what I send? Like the other day, I saw something on intercom and I was just, I saw that I knew the person. So I commented back and we fixed their problem that they were having. And then I put a gif of, of the Carlton dance. And so I knew that would make him, him smile and laugh. And so you react and respond to customers in, in real time and really build that idea that you care about them. And that's responding to every message you get. That's putting out good content and information that makes them feel like they're part of your story. That's getting Facebook groups and stuff like that where you're actually interacting with them. It's not having like no reply email addresses because nobody can reply to you and that frustrates people unless it's on like a redirect for you. You're spot on, Chan. I was with Paul Goff in San Diego a couple weeks back at his event and he spent a whole, it might have been a whole two hours talking about empathy and how it's not something that you're born with and how you acquire empathy and study, right? You put yourself in situations to learn that trait. Um, because the best marketers understand empathy, the best sales people get that as well. So they go hand in hand, really. Yeah, empathy is huge. I, I think of empathy in terms of what are they going to do and how can I understand what they're going to do before they even do it? And how can I put myself in the mindset to where I'm always thinking that way? And this works really well with employees as well. When you have to reprimand someone, when you have to talk to someone about new processes, when you have to introduce something that's more work, you need to look at it through their eyes. How are they going to react and respond? What are they going to say? And how can I set myself up to make sure this is successful from their viewpoint? Because my viewpoint matters, but it doesn't matter as much as my employees and my customers. Because the two most important people that are involved in the businesses that we run that I have, the most important people for me, hands down, are the employees because they are the people who portray everything. They can make or break what you do and make or break the experience. You have to be in this for the long term. This isn't lead generation strategies where you get 30 leads in 30 days. This is literally building a relationship with people that's gonna last a long time. It might take five months to 12 months to actually produce the relationship and get people to come in and talk to you and actually commit to working with you. 
But once you do this and once you do understand you're, you are playing the long game with these people, you put yourself into a position to where you're the industry leader and people look to you for help and they look to you for support and they look to you to be the one to fix their problems. And I think another thing we get, in, we get confused and in trouble with is a lot of the time when someone approaches us with a simple question, I always have to talk to Jim's about this and a lot of people. It's, it, don't get in the mindset of where you have to charge for every second of your time. You can give them a little bit before you actually ask them to start paying for stuff. And that's the long-term game. How can I get, give them enough value and give them enough impact to make them feel like I really had a huge impact without actually having to do anything? And that's just being there, being available, and making sure you go the extra mile for them. Once this, is, once this is motoring and you're ready to actually put this out, you need to know where your, customer, where your potential customers are at or where the customers of your customers are. So in, in the gym industry, we have two ways to, to market out. We, have, we can market, especially from Mad Lab Group and out of the cave, you can market directly to the owners of these facilities. You can market to the coaches or you can market directly to the clients. Uh, either way works. You just need to know where the attention of these people is focused at. Are, is your main demographic on Facebook? Are they on YouTube? Are they on Twitter, Instagram? Are they not online anywhere and all they do is check their emails? Are they in just like random places? You need to figure out where they're at and then focus your efforts in that spot. And if they're in multiple spots, then you're going to focus your effort either on the, main, the most important piece if you have limited time available, or if you have a lot of time in a team, you can focus on different avenues and different pieces to produce all this stuff. Do you have suggestions on how to find out? Um, it's obviously different pieces of content for those different individuals. Mm -hmm. Outside of doing some of the other steps of putting the content out there, listening, and is there anything else you recommend on an easy way to find what's that piece of content to yeah. share with them to try to, to attract that audience? Yeah, find out where they actually are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if you want to find where they are, when they first sign on with you, you should be like, you should put, have question, random questions in there like, what's your favorite social media platform? Where do you spend your most time when you're online? Uh, stuff like that. It should be like we always send out a culture form. It's a bunch of information and questions asking about their culture and who they are and really trying to identify it. Then it's like, where do you spend your most time? Where do you spend the most of your time on the internet? Do you like Facebook? Uh, what's your preferred method of contact? Facebook Messenger, Twitter, DM, Instagram, text, call, whatever. So all these questions are identifying where they're specifically at. And so you should always have these, it's like informational worksheets you're asking to collect and collate data. And, and you can send these out quarterly to see if things are changing, to see if things are evolving, to see if things are adjusting. But if you don't ask this stuff, you're never going to really know where they're at. And you can even add questions in there, like, do you like to do you frequent Facebook groups? Are you on Facebook groups all the time? Do you like DM groups on Instagram? Are you part of a Twitter coalition or whatever? You just need to figure out where they're at, what they're specifically doing in those domains. And then once you understand that, you can organize a system around it and have it go out every quarter or every so often or every new client gets it. So then you're constantly in the know of where they're at and what they're doing. And I would say... Like most of the world is on Facebook. Uh, we find Instagram's powerful. I mean, they're all powerful. We just need to make sure we focus our resources where we can and we hyper-focus where our people are at. Do you find that Instagram's more of a commodity in the sense of what you sell on Instagram is more of a product versus Facebook, you can do more services? Like, I think... It might it, be a loaded question to an extent. It's not... Yeah, okay. it's, it's interesting. I think Instagram is easier to pull off if you don't want to put as much money into it. Facebook, you can dump as much as you want into it and make it happen. Instagram, though, if you build community, you build that culture of caring and you create that virality and tagging atmosphere, you can get people sharing, tagging their friends, doing all kinds of things and literally growing your page without having to put any money into it. 
there was this uh, a swimsuit company that said, if you share and tag three friends, we'll give you a free red swimsuit. I think over 575,000 people shared and tagged, and they had to shut down their page. So just you can create this kind of stuff, and you can create these massive, impactful programs if you figure out what they want, and you tell them you're going to give it to them if they do something for you. And so Instagram is probably the easiest way to do it in terms of not spending a lot of cash flow on it. Facebook is easy to do if you want to run like sophisticated campaigns and solid workflows and a lot of that stuff. I think there's a little bit more value to in Instagram stories versus like a Facebook story. Um, Instagram story has a little bit more creativity. Uh, it's got a little bit more of that stickiness. Um, yeah. I find that when I do a story on Instagram, there's like 300 people that watch it. I'm like, who are you guys? Right? It's true. And that's what you want, though. Right? You want those people that don't really know who you are or your business getting involved with your story. Um, it's my personal story, so it's a little like, uh, who are you? <laughs> the hash, the ha- I found the hashtags to be beneficial, too. Hashtags. When I make a post, you know, it's like when I put out the turkey that I just did with the bacon and everything. Um, I had people I don't even know who they are just liking it, commenting, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, some of that could have been a bot, but yeah, I, I find Instagram to be, in regards to your reach, a little bit easier, a little bit better, just in, in specific yeah. hashtags and certain things. And I hashtagged one guy, and you were talking about this earlier, I think, um, and he shared my post. Mm-hmm. So I was wearing their shirt, and Bob was cooking bacon. It was Meat Hustler. Um, and uh, so they shared that post, and that, that weekend I ended up selling uh, 50 pounds of bacon. Yeah, that's huge. Just creating that tagging atmosphere and that virality. Yeah. Like we have a tag that's like out of the Cave Media family or something, and people tag it all the time, and we share their information, and we share it on our page all the time. So it gets them in the habit of tagging us, and then us being the one that they always look to when they're sharing their information and a lot of that. And it creates that tag that builds, and then people can go to that and see what we're doing and working with people. Uh, so Instagram is huge if you want to build that virality and like stories. If, you, if we really want to be real and build that humanistic characteristic behind what we're doing, you put up, put up five to seven stories a day like, hey, it's me. I'm working on the computer building stuff because I'm really cool or whatever you want to put out that you can showcase to people what you're actually doing behind the scenes. It's funny how much people want to see what happens behind that computer screen or what's really going on behind the scenes. And if you showcase that, you've got yourself like a little Instagram stories mini series that they'll watch. Yeah. So do you have, so this is something that, do you do all of that on your business page or do you do that on your personal page? We do anything that's associated with like the specific businesses will go on the business page. And then anything that's like that I'm doing specifically will go on mine. Okay. So you want to do it off your business. Yeah. Then in Ottawa, she's like one of the top five in the world for Instagram. She's like a millionaire teaching people how to do Instagram stories. I'm like blown away by that. But (laughs) She would say that you want to go business page for that and put business stuff on the business page and personal stuff on the personal one. Yeah, I always think of that in terms of there's a lot of stuff that I produce that's specifically just my stuff and my thoughts that I don't necessarily want to 100% associate with whatever else I'm doing. So those will go on my personal things. Mm -hmm. The things that are associated with the business and the functions and structure and the clients and all the stuff that's happening will go on the business page. There's searchables, too, in the Instagram index for business. So you can, people can go in there and find your business and go okay. check it out. Yeah, and now your, your Instagram story will share your Facebook stories, and now business stories are available on Facebook. So, And I just realized this morning my Instagram story shared to Facebook stories, shared to Messenger stories, so now it's everywhere, and you don't have to That's do anything. That's people started responding to it on Messenger. I was yeah, like, huh. Messenger. Yeah. yeah, then you have it all. I leave Messenger this morning. Just ask 
So then the next one I talk about a lot is you need to leverage your strengths. So I talk to a lot of people and they're just deathly afraid of video and it's, it's just never gonna happen because they hate it so much. So we're either gonna get these people producing audio pieces where they don't have to show their face. And that's why podcast is beautiful. You can just open your phone up and talk and put a mic on. Or we're getting these people writing blogs and just writing. So you wanna really leverage and focus on your strengths in terms of what you're putting out. And I think videos are probably your most important thing to be producing, maybe videos and audio. So if you had a video and you pull that and turned it into a podcast, you have two ways for people to consume. People who can sit there and watch and people who are busy driving and stuff and can listen. So you really want to think about the ways people are going to consume and actually drive with your content, and can they do it while they're busy? And that's how you learn to leverage your strengths. What am I good at? What am I comfortable with? That's what I'm going to pursue. Because if I do something and someone tries to force me to do something I'm not good at and I don't have an accountability partner, I'm going to figure out a reason to get out of it, and I'm not going to do it because we just don't want to do what we don't want to do or don't like to do. So then the last three are what I call my pillars of great content. So I, I organize this around like the emotional characteristics and interactions that people have. So we want to really tap into the ways people will emotionally interact with your content, the ways they'll share it, and the reasons they share things. And so what these are, are the last three. It's we want to motivate and inspire people. And with, if you can put out some motivational and inspirational things for people in your content, you're going to make their already stressful day a little bit better. Because if you think about the standard person's lifestyle, they're getting up in the morning, Johnny doesn't want to put on pants, so you got to force Johnny to put on pants because you got to get him to school. Then you throw him in the car, you spill something all over yourself, he's late for school, now you're late for work, get off work, you're hustling to take kids to practice or whatever the people are doing. But people live really stressful lives, or maybe they got off work super late, and then they see your video and they're like, wow. That made me feel good about myself. So now my life is a little better, and I like those guys because they make me feel okay. The one after that is educate. So you want to educate people as much as you can, but you don't want to be highly technical and super in-depth because your customers or prospective clients aren't going to understand highly technical things. So you want to just organize a list of simple things that you can showcase and help with, and that should be your educational platform. So like uh, a simple educational piece for Mark for like Instagram would be how to use Instagram stories. A lot of people have no idea. One time I put a video up on Snapchat versus Facebook and it ended up being one of the most popular videos I ever put out just because it was a simple how-to. There was a six-year-old who was doing how-to videos on how to make toys and he made $11 million just doing his little videos. So it's, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Like little kids doing like makeup tutorials are pretty popular right now. But just think simple. How can I impact people with simple how-to videos and give them immediate feedback that they can actually execute on? And they're not going to execute it anyway, so they're probably going to come to you down the road to do it. The last piece is making people laugh. So without humor, education and motivation kind of leaves people wanting. And when you think about the things you tag your friends in and your friends share, they always want to tag it because it's hilarious and they feel like you're part of that journey or you should see that or that's you. So one time there was a, a picture of like a taco pizza, and I'm a huge fan of tacos and pizza. We celebrate Taco Tuesday and Pizza Friday religiously. I'd rather die than miss those two days. So the, the person actually shared it on my wall and said, this is for you. And then in the same comment on my wall, someone tagged me in it. And so those are the kinds of things. They think of you immediately, and they, they think of their friends, and they want to tag them because it's building that culture of common experience. Wow, eaters. 
That's right. I've that post on my page like five times. <laughs> it's so funny. What's wrong with you people? Yeah, come on, you know I Nobody like this stuff. Nobody likes loud eaters. <laughs> and so that's the concept of sharing, tagging, and creating virality. What, are people, what do people want to do? How can you make them happy? How can you make them laugh and be a little bit educational? And you're going to get people to share, tag their friends, and ultimately create virality in your content. And Instagram is probably the easiest place to create that virality because they can tag their friends in the comments. One of the biggest ways companies grow on there is, hey, we're giving away something free for 10 people. Just tag three friends in the comments. And all of a sudden, you have 500 people tagging their friends in there to get whatever you're offering. And it's little simple contests like that. So, and that's the real reason. Like The power of emotions and the relationship are kind of the biggest pieces of what we're doing. We need, And this is the concept of empathy. What are people thinking, and how can I react and respond to that before they even do it to make them feel special and OK? If I can understand what they're doing before they do it, I'm going to be the winner. And so when you look at the basic human emotions that you can tap into, you've got fear, you've got anger, sadness, happiness, disgust, surprise, and trust. And the ultimate one that we're looking to build here is trust. Once you establish trust with someone, you won. Because they're going to go to you no matter what over anybody else. Because they trust you, and they trust what you do, and they feel comfortable with you. And when you think about like child states and emotional states in humans, if they feel OK, they're going to stick with you forever. Once they go into not OK state, that's when the customer doesn't want to interact, doesn't want to go back. And they go into child state, they cross their arms, walk away, and that's when they, they're really they're not into it. So if you build that trust and you build that OK feeling, these customers are going to be more excited to actually interact with you and your brand specifically. And I always say, uh, you want to put out information like we do the Almost Daily Show. It's almost every day. It's four or five days a week. We've actually taken a two-week break for the holidays. But otherwise, we put out a show almost every single day. And we simulcast, and then it goes on our podcast, which has grown huge in the, the short amount of time, the year that we've been doing the Almost Daily Show. So I say, do it daily if you can. If not, set reasonable and actionable goals you can obtain. So do I have the time to put one piece a week out? All right, do that. Do I have time to put two? OK, do that. Three? OK, do that. Do I want to start with one and upgrade as I get more comfortable with it? OK, do that. But don't say, I'm going to put seven days of content out and then f think you're an utter failure when you can't do it. Set yourself up for re like reasonable and actionable goals that you can achieve. And then that's, that's one of the big ways we're going to build our audience. Just by people watching your videos on Facebook, you're building up an audience that you can retarget and talk to with. And these are people who actually trust you and who have built that identity behind what you're doing. So when they see those videos that are retargeted and all that information, then they're going to actually they're going to be more likely to actually interact with you and follow through. With our like almost daily show and our strategic partners, we don't ever actually have to retarget or do anything. We just put the podcast out, the information, and then people fill in on our calendar just because they trust us and they know what we're doing and we hit powerful emotional chords when we talk to them. There's different ways people consume content, so you want to give them different ways to consume because not everybody learns, learns in the same way. So some people watch videos and they learn quickly. Some people can't watch a video and they won't learn anything. Some people have to read, so that's where blogs come in. Some people like to listen. Like, I, I'm a listener. I, I'll put my phone up and listen. I'll put it up in the shower and I'll listen to podcasts while I shower. And as long as I can listen, I'll do it. I won't sit there and watch a video. Uh, I probably, I'll probably read about a paragraph into a blog before I do something else. And some people look at pictures, like infographics, and they learn from that kind of dynamic. So you really need to tap into the emotional characteristics and ways that people learn and consume content.
See, there it is. Look at that. And then the last thing is a lonely community is a sad community. You really need to engage with your community. And you need to make sure that, like I talked about earlier, they know that you care about them. And they know that you are in there. And you want to be part of what they're doing. And you're going to interact and respond and go back and forth with them. Because there's nothing worse than three or four comments about how amazing you are and then a ghost town because you never went back and commented on anything. I'm a big fan of watching the way they write and then reacting in a way and responding in a way that is kind of similar to the way they wrote. So if someone responds with like clappy emojis and smiley faces, I'll respond with a gif of like a kid dancing or something. If someone responds super serious, I'll keep it a little more serious. But you want to teach and build your processes of communication around how you're going to engage with people when they need to be engaged. She talked about strategic partnerships earlier. It's one of the biggest ways to grow your brand, and it's one of the biggest ways to get people to actually trust you without having to get right in front of them. If strategic partners are sending people to you, that's automatic trust because they already trust that partner. And so you should, everybody in here should have two or three strategic partners they work with. And so for like Out of the Cave, we, I'm already involved with MadLab, but MadLab's a partner, and we have another partner that's a consulting agency. Everybody just funnels to what you do, and you can ultimately center yourself as like the centerpiece and have everybody funneling into you. And then you build that brand identity and that trust around the partners who already have trust with their clients or potential clients. And workshops. Workshops get you in front of people at like this. This is where you build that culture of caring, really build that identity. They can watch you online all day, but the second they interact with you in real time and the second they interact with a real-life human, that's when you really build that bond, and that's when you build that emotional connection with them. And newsletters. We have one called the Almost Weekly Newsletter because we didn't want to commit to weekly. We send it mostly weekly, but it's, it's just a little out-of-control, out outrageous newsletter that I personally write because I enjoy writing it. And it, it has like a little blurb. I usually write in the subject line like, hey, you're not going to open this. And then in the next line I write, but if you do, here's what we're going to talk about. And then everybody opens it because the subject lines are out of control and they want to see what's inside. And then it's just a little blurb that doesn't make any sense. And then a bunch of our content that's already been like shared. So, hey, top podcasts you might have missed. And then at the bottom, hey, we have 100 million podcasts going out a week. So you might want to just subscribe. So it's not really, it's not newsletters and like emails of, hey, buy our stuff. It's like, hey, if you missed anything, how can we help? What, what can we do to make you happy and smile? And I get this all the time. So I did an angry picture. I don't have an angry face. I'm not a very angry person. So uh, if you don't have time, then you definitely, you just have time to fail. Because if you don't actually do anything, then you're not going to do anything to build yourself. And if you don't build that brand and build that identity, it's going to be hard to compete in the long-term game when more and more people get involved in it. So and then the full formula content plus engagement plus your email system plus your actual systems, which compile it all together, equals a win. Uh, it's, it's really hard to be successful long-term with just an email strategy because you have to actually drive people into the emails. And it's really hard to be successful with just a content strategy if you have no other ways to communicate with people. So we need to have all avenues open. And the last, this one is important that I added here. I actually had an interaction not too long ago. Some guy was running Facebook ads for someone, and they'd been like 60 or 70 days into the ads. And the ad guy was like, yeah, these are perfect parameters. Everything's going well. And the customer was like, well, I'm spending $1,000 a month, and I haven't seen any business. And he said he was a lead generator. So I was like, All right, so blind data will fail as well. You have to make sure that even if you have the perfect parameters and the perfect information and the perfect data subsets, it might not be working in the eyes of the consumer. So we always need to listen to feedback and respond and pay attention if the data is not actually telling us what the real story is. 
So the last thing I added on here was leadership and mentor stuff. I realized that we, we manage a lot of, like Mad Lab, I manage 12 to 15 people. And then the Stone Age Fuel, we still have the gym. There's five people there. And Out of the Cave has another five people. So there's a lot of working parts and a lot of people to move and manage around. So you have to have empathy with your staff, like I talked talk about earlier. Everything, every interaction with you, you have with them and everything you, you do with them, you need to look at the world through their eyes. And that's, that's the only thing I think about when I have to talk to them about something, when I, when I have to interact with them with things, and when I have to create new systems, when I have them adopt new technology. It always has to be, how are they going to respond? How are they going to react? And then how do I respond and react? I need to make sure I'm proactive in understanding their needs, thoughts, and one. So if you, if you really know, and when you're building out this process, if you really know your staff, you know their specific personalities, you know what they're good at, then you can leverage that to help them shine. So if you tell your staff, hey, we're going to produce videos, and one of them hates videos, you need to combine that one with someone who's good at videos. So now they have this dual segment where they can play off each other. One strong person can get the weaker person talking and interacting and hold them accountable to being able to produce this stuff. Or maybe one person refuses to do videos. I actually had a really cool one. This girl was really scared. So she put whiteboards out, and then she wrote on the front like objections and problems people have about coming in the gym, and she'd roll through all of them. And then at the end, she'd put like something that was helpful or whatever. But it was a bunch of little whiteboards, and she didn't have to say a word. So she got super creative with it. With your staff, you have to be able to tell them what your vision is and what your why is. If you, don't, if you can't display that and get people excited and standing on top of their chairs, it's going to be hard to get your staff to rally around it. If you just go into a meeting and you're like, hey, guys, so we're, like, we're like cool and we're going to build some stuff with you guys and that's it, then they're going to be like, all right, okay, let's do this. But if you walk in and you say, like, hey, we're here to build a culture of caring in as many businesses as possible. Our goal is to make sure that like, you're happy, the customers are happy, and everybody's always having a good experience. And if there's not a smile on everybody's face, we failed. Then you can display your why and your vision to them and get people excited and rallied behind it. If your staff is rallied behind your vision and your why, and your staff understands it and can display it, you're going to win, and they're going to follow you and jump off the face of the earth for you. Probably don't have them jump off the face of the earth, because you need them. If your staff doesn't understand, this is one of my biggest things I see people do. They tell their, one of the staff members to do something, and they ask why, and they say, well, just because I told you so. It's one of the worst things you could possibly ever say to your staff, because then they get angry and frustrated because you won't talk to them. They need to understand the goal and where they're headed with something, especially if you have something that's like heavy workload, like, hey, we're doing this right now because we need to get here, and it's going to help us get here and ultimately grow and help you become better and help us become better. They're going to be more likely to follow through and work harder towards what you're doing. So I, I like to organize the, the last couple thoughts into phases of strategic planning that I use to organize what we're doing and that our staff uses to organize to, to plan. So number one is discovery phase. So this phase is when we have to look at the idea. We have to look at potential reasons why we shouldn't do it, potential reasons why we should do it, potential problems, potential things that could go really bad. We need to basically organize everything into different subsets of what's going to happen, what could happen, and then create ideas and avenues around that. And then from there, we can say, OK, based on the discovery phase of planning, this was a good idea. Or based on the discovery phase of planning, whoever did this is out of control. Let's not do this ever again. And then you can move in to make sure that what you're doing is going to put you into the next phase in the right way, which is the planning phase. So now discovery's done. You know it's a good idea. Now you have to organize this into full-blown planning. So how do I execute on this? How do I create the execution strategy? 
How do we look at the post-analysis phase? How do we collect feedback? What happens when things go wrong? What's our plan B? What happens when plan B goes wrong? What's our plan C? Because if you've ever organized something into planning phases, you always know that plan A is probably going to fail. So plan B needs to be ready, and plan C needs to be ready. Then you have your execution phase. If you have like an event or a workshop, this is like a one-day execution phase. If you have something where it's a long-term planning phase, like a content calendar, it's a long-term execution phase. So this is when you're actually doing it, you're executing on it, and you're making it happen. Then post-execution is the last one, post-execution analysis. So when we look at this phase, this is when you say, okay, that was, that was a really good thing. Let's, let's talk about it, what went well. And you need to survey your employees. So you sit down with everybody or send everybody it's better if you sit down in person with these employees and talk about this. So what went well? What did you like? What didn't you like? What do you think we could have fixed? And then you sit down with a few of your customers, and then you send out surveys and other information to your customers. Then you collate all that together and go back into the planning phase. And then you're better than ever. So now you're like, all right, let's do this. Now we're, we're way better. And then after five or six times through these phases, you develop a strategy and a process that works really well. And then you're a champion or a certified ninja. We actually call our... Infusionsoft girls, Ninjalinas. Because in, in, like, account manager is boring. And they're Ninjalinas because they can hop over tall buildings. <laughs> so I like to, I like to leave, leave with this. When you're organizing your thoughts and your ideas and your business and your processes and your strategies and all the things you want to do, we always have dreamers. We always have a million ideas. Everybody has all these ideas and all these things they, they should have done or, or they wish they would have done. But... If you don't execute on it, you're never going to get anywhere. So your ideas are cheap, and, but your execution is gold. So what are you guys doing right now? Is anybody producing good kind? I know you are. I saw a couple of your videos. Yeah, I just started that. And then after, after the first of the year, it's going to go to 30 videos a week. Perfect. Tyler's doing the I Love Infusionsoft fan page mm -hmm. on Facebook, which has been really positive. And that's a different example. It's a fan page where he's invited people to be yeah. part of that. Um, that's a cool example. Do you want to talk a little bit after you've put these feelers out, Chad, about the challenge? Yeah, so what we want to do is, if you guys are interested, we want to organize a sort of like content execution challenge. So everybody start producing content. We'll upload it on YouTube privately at first, and then we'll share it into the, the ICP group, and then we can all go back and forth and talk about it and make it better and share it and hold each other accountable. Yeah, our team page, or we can even create a private page just for that challenge. Um, so we can keep it comfortable for you guys because we know of the fear. Yeah, and then we can remove that by doing things. Yeah, we can set like a deadline. Like, okay, next Friday, everybody post your content up, and then we can be each other's accountability partners. And I think if we do that for a good four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, there's good habits there. You guys have consistency. Yeah, and it's not content. such a your shot. content for your business. So motivational, educational. You're already, Rob. Yeah. Oh, okay. What we talked about today, pretty much, we're just going to execute on in a six-week little challenge. It takes 21 days to establish a habit. So if we have that in six weeks, then we'll be champions of the universe. And why this is important, because I, I work with 170 partners. And there's only a handful of them that actually do anything with social. It's, it's striking. Because that's everybody's been on their phone all day. What have you guys been on? I've been yeah. on Facebook and Instagram and Slack. That's true. I've got stories out right now. Presenting. Yeah. I've got some great Instagram stories going right now. <laughs> Tag everybody in them. Find them. Yeah, and usually before I talk, I'll check out everybody's stuff. And I saw a couple of your videos. I saw Graphly. You guys had a couple of videos out that looked pretty good. So 
I'll look at everybody to see if everybody's like a certified ninja. So then you're, this is what will kind of focus on your take-home execution strategy to make, to make this work. I used really small fonts so you guys couldn't actually read it. <laughs> My big thing on presentations is one or two, maybe three words on a slide. This is like beyond what I'm usually focused on. It's out of control. It makes me sad. <laughs> so if you, if you guys are interested in that, is anybody interested in that challenge, getting it kick-started? Yeah. Raise your hands, please. Perfect. <laughs> Hold on, okay. Yes, teacher. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't see who was interested. Everybody was so excited about it. The fear factor, yeah. right? And every <laughs> that show's coming back. That's a really good impression. <laughs> it was so funny. So we have two options. We can create, we can use the ICP group to, to launch it and make it work. And then everybody else can see it and be like, why are they doing the cool stuff? They think the ICPs. Like Insane Clown Posse? <laughs> yeah. So we could use our page, you guys, for that. And I think that would be a probably smart thing to do because we could show that this group is actually doing things. Executors. And the rest of the group might follow suit, maybe. Yeah. No. We'll do it. <laughs> the dreamer. I'm yeah. optimistic. The dreamer. <laughs> So that's everything. Uh, these are all the things that I do. I'm really focused on Facebook and Instagram and my podcast. And so I put out just my ramblings so every the podcast, day. podcast, what Chan was telling me some of the stats, it was 300, zero, obviously, when they started. 300-ish views, and now they're in the 800-ish views weekly. Yeah, we almost have 1,000 downloads. Yeah, it takes time a little bit, guys. So Yeah, it took us, took us six months to build up that kind of a following and we use we utilize strategic partnerships to push our con our podcast out get on their podcasts and stuff and then funnel everything back in why this will help chan too and, and out of the cave is because they were actually setting up a webinar with me in january right so all of this goes right back into that so we'll fill that webinar up and that should be very successful yeah that'll be exciting we're going to build a relationship marketing like school that everybody can interact with and be part of, and then we'll have like live classroom sessions and stuff, kind of like what Tar Tyler does with his Infusionsoft school, but lab, yeah. but all about just relationship marketing and building that customer-centric and driven environment. The last thing is really cool, though. That's out of the K Media. If you want to follow our show, it's called the Almost Daily Show. But this is Larry. Let's see if it'll work. Pretty exciting. Larry's legit. We call him a cave poof. So that's it. Does anybody have any questions? I just had a quick one. Yeah. So when you're at the point where you're throwing out content on that daily basis, mm -hmm. how far do you plan out in advance? As in like, okay, I've got two weeks of content planned out in advance or a month of content planned out mm -hmm. because it has to be somewhat kind of recent, mm -hmm. too far behind, like what do you do for that? So for Out of the Cave, we go live every day, so it's kind of a live broadcast. But for most of our people, we set them up at the minimum two weeks in advance. So we set up like all of your content set up, and then all of it ready to go two weeks in advance. Because what happens is if you're only like a day ahead or a week ahead, something will happen. You won't be able to produce, and then you fall behind, and then you right. just completely fall off the face of the earth. So I think at the minimum for a smaller-based business or a medium-sized, it's two weeks in advance. And then it's always in two-week cycles. And then we go into quarterly cycles where we reevaluate. So we've been doing this. We've got all these two-week cycles. Now we're in our quarterly analysis. Where are we at? Is it working? Do we need to pivot shift? And generally, in terms of like competitors and stuff, by the time we get to our quarterly analysis, they're starting to copy us. And we're already pivot shifting and moving. So we're always ahead of the game.
It's a great question. I think the calendar will prevent you guys from falling into that trap that mm -hmm. you might have already fallen into where you started something like this and then it just never happened because it wasn't planned out. Yeah. There's some tools, like uh, you can use a normal thing like Sprout Social or Hootsuite, but I like CoSchedule a lot. The whole team can get on the calendar and put things together, and then it can like reuse stuff. So you put everything out, and you can start like a content reuse cycle. So it, like Twitter, we have like six or seven posts a day that go out, and some of it's new, some of it's reused. Um, so what, it, what, I mean, this might be a totally too easy question, but what are the metrics that you're actually looking for? Like in regards, so preface this is my question is to try and pitch hey, you need to get more into Facebook, hey, you need to get more into Instagram, okay that's going to take time, that's going to take development, that's going to take this, it's going to take that for hopefully something mm -hmm. so I'd look, I'd look at my main avenue I'd look at is retention because current clients are going to pay attention to it and really watch it and actually stick around, uh, like for us it builds this huge culture of raving fans and then the, the other things I would look at are we want to look at engagement. So how are they engaging? And then you can build perception around either happy or sad around like how your company is perceived. So then you can build it around, okay, now we are a customer-centric and customer-dynamic company. And then the third thing, if they want real like raw numbers, is you can do video views and build an audience of video views. And that'll go from zero to like 10,000 to 100,000. And then you can take that, and if you have that huge audience, you can, can have a continuous like retargeting system that goes out. So then you can actually drive it into literal business. Yeah. It, might, it probably takes 12 months to build up that big of a, an, a video audience, but then once you start that retargeting strategy, you're set. Or if you have someone who's good at YouTube teach you how to do it, then you can focus on that platform. Does that make sense? No, that is right in line with what I believe. It's <laughs> just how can... Pitching it with the, in terms of an ROI? To the family. It, it's not. It's everything. It's just, okay, am I actually understanding what I should be mm -hmm. the right way? Especially as I... Yeah. Whatever I'm going to be doing, I want to make sure it's done right. Yeah, yeah, the way I would pitch it is... It's hard because usually com bigger companies want, like, what's my immediate ROI? What's my quarterly analysis? How am I going to make a profit with this in 90 days? And so you need to or organize that around, like, okay, within 90 days, we can have all of this content motoring and, and moving through. Our retention is going to be higher, and we're going to be able to retarget and actually build business and drive revenue in. I think that's, yeah, I think the expectation mentally is it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. I think with the ability to retarget, mm -hmm. like that's that huge. Has launched us into what's possible. Yeah, and you can say like retargeting, we're going to retarget him to put him on our email list, and then we can actually really hit the ground running hard with our email list, or just straight retarget to push him in. Any other questions? All right. Chandler, thank you, brother. You're welcome.